This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Scott Sandland, co-founder and CEO of Cyrano AI. One of the main driving points in a thesis of our company is most AI tech is about generating correct responses, not wow. meaningful communication. A long standing tenant of mine is the second most valuable thing in the known universe is effective communication. The first is oceans made out of water. We spend a lot of time looking for that. But the second most valuable thing is effectively communicating our ideas. The most human thing there is, is talking well. And yeah. the fact that for maybe the second time in human history, our defining technology, you know, since the printing press, this era is defined by the ability to transmit ideas better than ever before. This is Scott. He's among the most well-known hypnotherapists on earth and an accomplished innovator and entrepreneur. He's been actively involved in the development and customization of multiple software platforms that are focused on continued education and professional networking for over a decade. Scott has 20 years of experience helping clients by using strategic questions and pattern recognition to understand and influence subconscious decision-making processes. Cyrano is built on the idea that these soft skills are inherently teachable and that doing so will improve human-computer interactions at scale. Applying that knowledge and experience into a neural network to help more people is his driving passion. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Scott to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the way that we use technology to communicate, and how that is inhibiting us to get global problems, such as teen suicide under control, or to simply effectively transmit our ideas. We also dig into the art of preparing the market to adopt transformative technology, and what is the secret to create a software business that people keep talking about? By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, too often we focus the software we build on improving rather than prevention. What if we do the opposite? Secondly, how to overcome the hurdle of getting people to adopt solutions that deliver results that by far exceed their wildest expectations. Thirdly, how to build brand trust and create desire in a market where you are unknown and have no credibility. And fourthly, how creating an emotional, visceral vision for the future will help you overcome the most difficult periods that you will face on your company's journey. Hi Scott, thank you for being a guest on my podcast today. It's absolutely my pleasure, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I was introduced to you by, by Neil that I recently had on my podcast, Neil Sahota, right? Yeah. Yeah. Neil yeah, exactly. Sahota, IBM master inventor and all things AI whiz. <laughs> well, he spoke highly about you and I think, well, there's, there's something coming back already, which is interesting, but he spoke, he gave me an anecdote in the podcast for people that are listening to the podcast. Just go back, I think two or three episodes. I'm not sure whether it's, whether how far they are apart. And it truly amazed me. I think I reacted like, what? <laughs> And it was about the accuracy of, of what you were able to accomplish with your solution. We're going to talk a lot about the big idea behind your company, Cyrano. But mm -hmm. before we start, 
a little bit about you, not like your whole background, because that's sure. we do it in a different way. But what were what would be one or two words that characterize you as an entrepreneur or as a person? One or two words that characterize me. Oh, that's reductive. That's interesting. I would say I am optimistic and I am people focused. So as much as I care about technology, I really am a behavioralist about people. Yeah, and I can see that also on your website, Cyrano.ai. And one of the things that struck me there where I got, yeah, like you have to be my podcast, changing the way people communicate with computers, help AI force, well, become a force for good and move meaningful conversations in various processes. So it's not only, I think, what, what's happening in your company with people, but typically what people can do and what, what the potential is if you, if you bring technology in the game, right? Yeah. So one of the thesis, one of the main driving points in a thesis of our company is most AI tech is about generating correct responses, not wow. meaningful communication. And from my perspective and kind of like my origin story is in therapy. I'm a hypnotherapist with oh, really? 20 years of private practice. Yeah. I've had a private practice for 20 years. I've been the executive director of a mental health clinic and I've built, you know, online learning platforms and continue education platforms and things like that. So I've always stayed in technology, but my background is in looking at people. And I really saw that the tech and the, the state of the art was about accurate answers, not meaningful communication. And a, a long standing tenant of mine is the second most valuable thing in the known universe is effective communication. The first is oceans made out of water. We spend a lot of time looking for that. But the second most valuable thing is effectively communicating our ideas. And it is, it is the defining technology on the planet right now is all about that, which is a really exciting thing. The, the most human thing there is, is talking well. And yeah. the fact that for maybe the second time in human history, our defining technology, you know, since the printing press, this era is defined by the ability to transmit ideas better than ever before. So building a company around that principle is wow. fun. That's for sure fun. So I, yeah, the big idea that, that came from there, but what, what was the problem that you saw? What sparked the idea? What truly sparked the idea is teen suicide. Yeah, <laughs> sorry to make it a downer so fast. Like I said, I was the executive director of a mental health clinic and a hypnotherapist. And I, I had a private practice where I was working a lot with drug rehab centers. And I watch, I had a front row seat to watch teen suicide double in America over seven years. And wow. in 13 to 15 year old girls, it tripled in seven years. And it became the second leading cause of death in America for people under 25. And I, I watched that happen. And I watched clients die. I watched clients get over-medicated. I watched clients drop out of big schools, Stanford, Harvard, Princeton, and junior colleges. I watched these kids fail, deteriorate. So I built out a clinic to try to scale myself because I didn't want to just one-to-one. -one. So then I had you know eight people working for me, but that's eight-to-one. That still isn't scale. And so then I said, okay, what about tech? How can we do this with technology? And it isn't just telehealth, which is a great thing. I really wanted to go beyond that. And so that became a couple year long pursuit into researching natural language systems. And here we are. Let me make a small interruption here. Scott just illustrated how opportunities for innovation are around us everywhere. It just requires us to develop an eye for it, to develop an eye for what's truly broken in the market, a problem that's highly valuable and critical to be solved screaming for your solution. And Scott just illustrated that big problem that they found that became the founding idea behind Cyrano AI. A big idea where various forces could be leveraged to build a perfect groundswell behind their business. And this is something that you can learn as well. It's the reason why I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can buy that on Amazon or any other portal where they sell books online. But if you want to know first how your software business scores against the 10 traits that define those companies that we keep talking about, I would recommend you to simply do the test first. You can find that test at valueinspiration.com slash remarkableindex. Back to the interview. Yeah. And natural language systems, like, yeah, you found 
Well, the, the, the problem that you highlighted in the beginning is the correct answers versus the emotional answers or the meaningful conversation. And I think, well, now that you made a connection to people that are actually dying and play, uh, well, yeah, having suicide, uh, yeah, how do you say that? Playing suicide, yeah, suicide. That's where really a meaningful conversation comes in place. Yeah. And if the whole idea is how can we get in front of this instead of pick up the pieces, right? The prevention yeah. is way easier than treatment. And exactly. that's why the Gates Foundation puts so much of their money into prevention rather than treatment. It's just a better ROI. And so to me, looking at 20 years of that in 14 of those years, I did a lot of drug rehab work. And in that time, I saw we were getting there too late. And whether it's stigma, whether it's just logistics, resources, therapists per headcount in a population, et cetera, et cetera, access is an issue. And so if yep. we could build an AI that was free, that could go on every phone in America, we would be able to dramatically impact a population that is vulnerable right now. Yeah. Yeah, you said in your website, uh, a world-class therapist in every phone. Yeah. It makes me, re- make me go back to the time when Microsoft was, was thinking about a computer on every desktop. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is a bold moonshot for sure. Yeah, it is. But I really think, you know, I'm a couple of years into this now, and I believe it more now than I, when I started. I really see it as a very viable not as a charity either. It would be cost effective. It would fund itself oh, yeah. without data mining the people. You could build out institutions that really, really help people at scale without it being a, a social works program. It could, it could be something that, has, that drives commercial value at the same time. Well, talking about commercial value, because what I've also seen on your website is that you don't, I mean, I think this is, this is, is this the long term route because you say move meaningful conversations from sales into support into mental health yeah is that correct so yeah, i that think you correct. started in sales right because the example that neil gave was a sales example yeah we sold some hondas is what we did you know the <laughs> the obvious one-two punch of if you want to save the world first sell some hondas <laughs> and uh we had access through a relationship to a honda dealership and we talked to the general manager and said if you give us the transcripts from the chat in the lower right-hand corner of your website, we'll blow your mind. We were talking to the guy and he said, everyone promises this. Everyone's coming at me with a new, what was then called API.ai. Now Google bought it and it's called Dialogflow. He said, everyone's coming at me with Dialogflow stuff. Everyone's coming at me with this and it's, it's all pretty similar. And we said, we're not that. We, we'll show you. And so he gave us a stack of transcripts from a month, you know, a month old transcript so that you could connect that to outcome. And in his room with the whiteboard markers in his office, we were able to just mark them up with our language models and put them into piles. And we said, these people bought cars from you. These people test drove a car, but did not buy a car. And these people you never heard from again. And he ran it with his internet sales manager and we were 100% correct. Again, we were, <laughs> we were hoping for, you know, like 55, 60%. And we told him, we we're like, look, if we hit 60%, you got to pay attention to us. And he's like, yeah. And we got 100%. So then we built... Falling off his chair. Yeah. His exact words were, before I tell you how well you did, I want to invest in your company. And we said, we're not a company. We were genuinely, we weren't an LLC. That was our first meeting to see if there was merit to the idea. It was just a, you know, kind of a, a really early, should we, you know, distract ourselves from our daily lives to do this pursuit? And he was said... Uh, you're not leaving this room without a check. And uh, he became our first investor. What better proof can you get? So how is then the relationship between detecting what really happened mm-hmm. to, I mean, I can understand that you want to detect what people are saying, for example, to detect what's going on. Do you then also have a, a way to, to respond to that? Yeah, so the way to think of it, and People, on, uh, people listening to this podcast understand AI, so I can, I'll do this kind of fast. Think of it like chess. Chess is a turn-based competition, right? And it's a perfect game because we both have all the information. And any set of moves can drastically change what your strategy should be. The conversation works the same way. You and I have shared information, and we take turns making moves. And if you want to teach an AI how to play chess, you don't give it a book on chess. You don't give it Kasparov's book. You give it examples, right? You give it data, raw data. But the key is 
in how you label the outcomes and how you label the pieces. Because on day one, if you're not labeling pieces, it's going to try to move every pawn like a queen because it has the most option value. And we see sentences the same way. Words are the, the chess pieces of the game. And uh-huh. it's not just nouns and verbs. It's the strategic value of what words do. An easy and lazy example is the word but. The word but changes what's happening in a sentence where you can say, I really want this car, but does it come in red? Or but it doesn't come in red is actually more interesting. I really like this car, but it doesn't come in red. If you shift that sentence and then say, so it doesn't come in red, but you really like this car. You just took the exact same sentence, flipped it on the axis of the word but, and now you have a strategic counterpunch. And you can teach the AI strategic counter moves if it understands how the words are used and then if you can connect that to outcomes, you can reverse engineer more complex strategy. Pretty cool. And then, yeah, Sorry, that was a lot. I apologize. No, no, I mean, that, that's helpful. Not also to people that are not in the AI space because there's also people listening that are, yeah, possibly on the, on the area where, it's, where they say now, this is what I need. So it's <laughs> very interesting, particularly how accurate it really is. So I mean, does that mean that, that you can replace people or is this like... Again, an example of if you bring people in the game, it becomes even better. I mean, ultimately, I want to replace therapists with robots for a lot of the low to mid-level stuff. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. mean humans shouldn't help each other. But that's also end game stuff. That's, you know, years out. In, in the short term, really what I see is a tool that can help give suggestions to people. And that's what we have deployed today is a yeah. tool that says, look, this is the kind of person who cares about this, not that. They sound this committed, not that committed. And you just kind of dial that in for a person. And if you have that as kind of going into a meeting, if you were armed with rather than just, you know, this conversation, you know, we both went to each other's websites and and did homework on each other. What if your calendar tool also gave you five bullet points about me that said, he cares about this. Don't talk to him about that. This is where you guys are in the sales cycle you want to be doing this next. And you could just have it in a digestible thing. It would make you better at your job. So yeah, I think exactly. of it as like an exoskeleton, like yeah. intellectually. But that's, that's really where I think the tech is going to be for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it evolves and it's, you just look at what the options are and whether they are mature enough to take it to the next level again. But then again, it's all about imagination. And uh, having, a, having a bold vision is then helping you to, yeah, to accelerate that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I had a successful practice and my co-founder had a successful business as well. And so we were looking at it and said, if we're going to do this, if we're going to disrupt our lives this much, because, you know, I've, everything I've done is a startup in my life. So I know what it's like to start something. It sucks. <laughs> and I know how disruptive it is to push everything over and start from scratch and pay your dues in, in, an, in an industry where no one knows who I am. We said the only reason to do it is to go big and do it right. You know, we don't, we don't want to build a million dollar company. Like that sounds like a waste of time for us. We want to build something that really can make an impact on a global scale. And yeah, maybe that's egotistical and ambitious, but it sounds fun. No, I mean, I mean, I like, I I completely am with your, with your mindset here and we'll talk about it a little later. But first of all, your solution. I mean, so since you started building it, first of all, yeah, where do you start and, and what have been, let's say, one or two moments where, where there were sort of breakthrough moments that took it to the next level. Yeah, so I would say that the success we had at the Honda dealership was actually a, a mixed blessing. We got overconfident because of how well it went, because then we also, we built out a tool for them that was a strategy-based tool that did basically what I just said, and it increased sales by 26% in a split test, which is the conversion from test drive to sale went up 26% with the guys who were using our tool versus the guys who were not in that same 120-day period. And they were spending 44% less time on the lot, which is you know 26% better conversions and 44% less time sounds like the most amazing over-promise ever. And, we, <laughs> and so we had that. And because we had that, we really, we didn't do a good job of looking at a crawl, walk, run. We jumped straight to walk. And uh-huh. we built too much 
We overspent, we overbuilt, and we built something the market wasn't ready for because of ego, because we were proud of how well our, our one deployment had, had succeeded. And so we had this realization as, you know, we were patting ourselves on the back and taking a victory lap and doing all that and realizing that, I mean, it, it's almost hypocritical to say, okay, we've built something and we're right. Therefore, we don't have to have effective messaging when the point of a company is effective messaging matters. And so the audience couldn't hear. No, your mantra. Yeah. And there was this moment where we realized that, where we realized it doesn't matter that the thing works really well. It doesn't matter that we're right and smart. No one no one's ready for this tool. No, it's, it's a solution in search of a problem. And so we actually had but to- Was it really? I mean, I, I mean if, you, if you give those examples in terms of outcomes, 26% more revenue, 40 plus percent less time on the lot, I would say, give it to me. But what, what was wrong that the market wasn't ready for it? It requires a change in choreography. It requires the people to do things our way, not the legacy way. And people yeah. don't like that. And especially yeah, yeah. without a track record of success. And one car dealership is not enough to disrupt your organization. Sure. And also the timing was fantastic because we were ready and we were going to meetings to, to share this software the day, the week after Mark Zuckerberg was testifying before Congress about data privacy and uh, Cambridge Analytica. And uh -huh. so they said, so you're telling me you're going to psychographically profile our users, take all our data, no one knows who you are or if you're trustworthy, and then you're going to build emotionally manipulative robots out of it? <laughs> and it doesn't sound good when you put it that way. And so we got a lot of, this looks really interesting. You guys seem pretty smart. No, thank you. And, wow. and so we really had to retrench and pull way back and leave that thing that we were so proud of that we had spent you know, nine months to a year building this very complex architecture and patent uh -huh. applications and all this stuff. And it's still sitting on a shelf. You know, we're still not using that technology. And everything oh. we're deploying today is the crawl before that walk. And everything we're building today is dumber than that. But that's it's designed to be lightweight and actionable because uh -huh. that's what, you know, we think people want right now. So what did you do different then? I mean, what was the, the approach that, that actually helps you to get traction? So what we found, like I said, asking people to change their choreography is difficult. And what we first built was a tool that in real time gave you suggestions. And it was a I mean, real control. time. Yeah, our thought was customer service and building a tool that says, here's what you should say, here's three to five sentences that you should use next, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And as we tested it, that felt like when you're on a phone call and someone keeps tapping you on the shoulder and saying, say this, say this, say this, which is distracting <laughs> and awful. So again, technologically very impressive. Use case, it's a solution looking for a problem. And so what yeah. we found was if we built out the tool so that it was asynchronous, so at the end of this conversation, you get a report that says, hey, here's how well the conversation went. Here's a bunch of data points on the conversation, some metrics, and here's how to follow up with Scott. Here's what it's like to be in a long-term relationship with Scott, and here's how to strengthen that relationship. So it isn't just about customer acquisition, it's about building a depth of relationship. So this tool can then be used for human capital management. So if we have a tool that says, here's how you manage Scott better, because he's not like you. You're this type of person and he's that type of person. And also to understand that nobody is one type of person. Context really matters. So looking at the car dealership, I'm a very different person with my son than I am with a car dealer. If I'm negotiating a lease, I am very different than if I'm on a date with my wife. And so understanding that the context is part of the intelligence is is where we are now, is, is building something that can be contextually appropriate and you can absorb it on your time and it's not overwhelming. So a big part of what we've been doing is simplifying and reducing features and options to find better product market fit. Well, and the market doesn't even, doesn't even know that like what could come already. So it's, 
<laughs> right. I mean, there's going to yeah. be a moment in a year where we blow dust off a thing, wipe it off and, ha- and show it to our existing customers and say, and yeah. now this upgrade. And they're going to be really happy with something that we could have done two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a couple of times from, from other people on my podcast that, that definitely that, that element of changing behavior set in between, yeah, failure and success. Yeah. I can remember a call with Ada from Gravity. And that's a company that does suggest people that, are giving, that can give you a do- donation because it's about uh, fundraising. Okay. Similar thing. It, was, it, it couldn't happen automatically. And people that were actually the fundraisers had all these suggestions in their inbox, didn't do anything with it. Nothing happened. Right. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all re- things that need to happen in order to get people on, the, on a journey. And then uh, when they are okay, then it's like, okay, let, let go. Which is why it's such an interesting time with the coronavirus and all of us adopting these technologies, right? You know, telecommuting, video conferencing, becoming kind of forced upon everybody. We are discovering that a lot of jobs can be done very effectively remotely. And a lot of companies that would have absolutely refused to let their employees work from home have been dragged kicking and screaming towards a better work-life balance and a, a, a better, you know, mental health place for their employees. So without, you know, a gun to our head of a global pandemic, it's very difficult to encourage organizational change. Yeah. And it's good, well, good between air quotes that it's now taking at least eight weeks because if it was like three or four weeks, it wouldn't right. have happened. Yeah, I actually think there will be, I mean, obviously there's a ton of tragedy in, in, both in terms of life and economics and other things and mental health. You know, people who are in abusive relationships are trapped in buildings with their abusers. There's a lot of really tough things and awful things about the coronavirus. And yeah, it will be in many ways, the sand that irritates the oyster that creates the pearl. And I, I think it's, it's forcing a decade of change into a year and a half, two years. And I think that's fantastic yeah. on a long timeline. Going through it isn't the fun part, but it, no. it might be worth it, maybe. Yeah, but again, it's like the same pattern that you've been following here. You gave them the change. They didn't want it, but putting them on a, on a journey, orchestrating it for them, giving them by spoon by spoon mm-hmm. helps to create a change. And a lot yeah. of companies don't see that. They, they say, okay, well, we just have the wrong customer. We just try on the next one and the next one. <laughs> Falling in love with the product rather than the problem. Yeah, and that was great feedback that we got from one of our advisors. He said, the problem you have is you're in love with your technology. You're so proud of what you've built. You're so in love with this. You're blinded by that. And you need to hear the feedback that you're really getting. And we started using our own tools to audit the meetings that we were in. And there is one personality type of people that this is an exception for. But if you are in a pitch meeting and at the end of the meeting, the person tells you that what you've shown them is interesting, it means you failed. This is really I interesting. interesting a lot. I should be very careful with this. Well, it depends on where you hear it in the meeting and who you're hearing it from. There's one group of people where it needs to be interesting to progress. And then there's yeah. other groups yeah. of people where if they say this is interesting, that means they're not going to, they'll stop at test yeah. drive. They won't True. purchase the car. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. we started seeing that in our pitches. And when we you know, ate our own dog food, it became apparent to us. Yeah, funny. I've learned about the word interesting by listening to my own podcast. And I was like, oh, again? <laughs> well, it's the same thing with because it's, uh, these television shows where they do yeah, big changes, well, makeover for your house. And people right. come in and then they see the new house like, how different? <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, not what, what they expected. <laughs> right. Yeah, different. I, mean, I, was, I was hoping for you to cry tears of joy and say thank you. And all you said was, wow, it's so bright and colorful. And that's, mm, oh, it's so different than it was. That's not the same yeah. thing. It is. But that's how people react. And yep. yeah, it's interesting when you have such a detector in your phone, that it will actually start to, to make you aware of those things as well, which is good. And there's a lot of application for it that we see yeah. 
in terms of going back to effective communication, it isn't just about strategy with you and I. It's if you're talking to someone who speaks a language that you don't speak, you're now paying attention to an interpreter more than you're paying attention to the other person, which means there's an entire layer of subtext that you're missing. And Mm -hmm. so if you speak Mandarin and I speak English and we're chatting back and forth through any kind of translation, whether it's software or human based, it means I'm paying attention to this translator and so are you. And so now I have the translator's bias and the translator's affect. Whereas if I could then get information that says, oh, and by the way, here's what he really thought and here's deeper insight into him because you missed it because you were paying attention to the translator that creates better long-term relationships, greater depth. That's true. Yeah. And that's what it at the end is all about. It's the brush part and it's the, so I mean, going through that, that, that learning cycle, selling Hondas to customers saying, I don't, I don't want this. This is interesting, but not now. So what, what do you believe is holding you back from, from creating momentum with your solution? Or is that, are you past that point already? No, I, I, I think we are really at an inflection point right now. Uh-huh. And, and to your, your previous question, in terms of like moments in our company's history, I, I actually think we're in one right now where we just, we just launched a Zoom tool that's free just to get adoption. And we're, we're just making it a loss leader for anybody who has a business tier account on Zoom, they can just get free reports because we want to earn people's trust. I mean, ultimately, we want to build a tool that stores no data from the conversation. We built it intentionally as a stateless REST API that processes everything in memory so that it could be HIPAA compliant. We built a tool so that we can give it away and show people this is the kind of insights that you can get with us off the shelf and then generalize. So for us, one of the things we're looking at is name recognition and trust and building that out is is what we're up to right now. Yeah. By the way, I mean, how did you pick the name Cyrano? Because has that got got a connection with the company? It does. And actually a pretty profound one. You know, there's an interesting thing. So Cyrano de Bergerac, you know, it's, it's the yeah. play by Edward Rostand, right? I think that's who wrote it. I should know that. But it's the story of, you know, the guy with the big nose who's a brilliant poet and a brilliant mind who falls in love with the girl Roxanne. But there's a good looking guy named Christian who comes into the mix. And so Cyrano says, I want Roxanne to be happy. So I will whisper into the ear of the good looking guy what to say so that she'll fall in love with his face and his mind. And we came up with the idea of, I don't care if anybody knows the name of our company. You know, we've said we want to do a B2B thing and I want your customers to fall in love with you. I'm going to empower your technology. I'm going to push stuff into your stack and you'll take full credit for the benefits and you're going to create a better engagement with your customer because of it. The side benefit of that is it's a real interesting litmus test for who can pronounce the company's name right. Because there's a bunch of people from data science who didn't study the humanities. And so they call it Serrano, like a chili pepper or something. And <laughs> any, we can just, anybody who pronounces the name of our company, if they say it right and say, oh, you mean like, we say, yeah, we want to be that for computers. And they go, oh, and then there's a there's a quicker understanding of what our value proposition is with those people. Yeah. I mean, I got the connection to, to the play, but I haven't seen the play or the, the story, but now I understand it. That's good. <laughs> there's a Steve Martin movie about it, by the way, there's a Steve Martin movie where he's a firefighter with a big nose and he falls in love with Daryl Hannah. And if you've watched that movie, that's what our company you know, does. But for exactly. exactly. One of the, well, one of the things that I did and I told you about it, prior to starting the podcast. I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, last year. And I mean, in the sequel, you're going to be, you're going to be a showcase. So, oh, so. But I'm genuinely... But first, I mean, you I'm have to give a good answer here. First, you have to get a good answer here. Because, okay. uh, I mean, I'm always looking for the secrets to... But the secrets behind creating a remarkable software business or create okay. remarkable software or products, whatever. So what do you believe is part of that secret set of things that you need to know? I think the easiest answer, and it might be cheating because it's so easy, is resilience. I think you have to be able to fail fast and pivot without losing confidence. You know, it's, it's sort of like sports. You know, they talk about the great players have a short memory. They don't remember all the shots they miss. They remember the shots they make. 
And, you know, like Kobe Bryant was famous for like, he could miss six shots in a row and he would still want to take the seven. And he would be just as confident on that attempt. And I think part of building a remarkable company, whether it's, you know, selling widgets or whatever, building software is you're going to have pitches that go badly and most of them are going to go badly. But as long as you're learning from that and not being discouraged by it, and that's the combination, learning without being discouraged. And that resilience, I think, is what matters. And the other thing I think is purpose-driven. I think there's a lot of stuff out now on purpose-driven companies and purpose-driven brands and being congruent with that and having that at the outset really gives you that sort of North Star to drive towards. And so I would say those are the two big things that have helped us a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you said at the beginning, maybe even prior to the call again. It's, yeah, the, the, there needs to be soul, that people need to be passionate, passionate rather than whether you're creating a solution but because you see a margin. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that before we started recording. I, I think there's a lot of people who build tech companies based only on like profit and loss margins. And I don't blame them for doing that. I mean, it's good business sense. But I don't know. I, maybe there's something wrong with me that I, I, I need to be excited about it at a more emotional, visceral level because you're going to have so many bad days in a startup and you're going to have so many beating your head against the walls that there needs to be that thing that makes you say, yeah, but if it works, it'll totally have been worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, yeah, I, I agree. I maybe even want to take it, take it further. The moment you, you start with that North Star and you're, you're, you're creating something that's transformative that people say, wow, I mean, I, with your example again, it's like, what? The moment you, you go in with, with such a passion and energy and having the, the, the resilience and the perseverance to, to keep hanging on all the mistakes, but at the end getting there, <laughs> that will then bring you the profit in the back because you bring, you create software or you create products that people want that people are prepared to pay premium for, for you, you create not customers, but you create advocates, people that actually talk about it because right. it actually, it is something that, yeah, it's, it's creating a complete new, new norm. Then it will come back to you without even being able to, to, to forecast it. <laughs> exactly. And there's, there are graveyards full of great ideas, right? And there's tons of companies that have had fantastic ideas, but they, they didn't have that resilience. They didn't have, the, you know, they missed one pivot. They zigged where they should have zagged in one spot and it made all the yeah. difference. And you've got to hit those zigzag opportunities. You got to navigate those well. And obviously every company makes a bunch of mistakes, but there's a few of them that are sort of mission critical. Well, talking about, well, mistakes, I mean, it's always like a bad word, but what have, I, what have been your biggest challenge that you had to overcome in the last couple of years? The biggest, man, there have been a lot. The biggest challenge, oh, data acquisition. I mean, ultimately, I mean, this month less so, but money's everywhere, right? Everyone has money to some degree, but having usable data that's hard yeah. to get. And yeah, so figuring out a data acquisition strategy, the first two we came up with failed miserably and we put a lot of effort into them. And so I would say the biggest challenge, the biggest mistake has been our early data acquisition strategies and our resistance. And is that for testing and, and for, getting it, for getting it to grow itself or is that on the customer side that the customer doesn't have the right data available? I think a lot of customers, a lot of people don't understand what organized data even means. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know, I, I talked to one guy who said, you know, their software does stuff with physical therapists and a great guy, great company, all that. But he says, Hey, I'll have, I mean, worst case scenario, I'll have a bunch of great data for you. And I was like, you're going to have, you know, data on 500 physical therapy patients. Like that's not, that's not actually enough to train a model. And so understanding what a model is based on and what a data set is, you know, I've, I've been promised and then received a thousand emails and said, here's a giant data set to build your entire system off of. And we worked really hard to go get, you know, what we thought was going to be a complete corpus. And then it was, you know, 1% of what you need. So I, I would say that has been a, a big challenge for, I think, any startup that's 
doing any kind of real machine learning needs yeah. to have a so, smart. So what have you learned and what, you, what, yeah, what have you done to overcome that, that challenge? The easiest thing to do is actually make your own data. And it doesn't sound like that should be true. But right now, it's easier to make your own data than convince someone to give you theirs. Because everyone knows it's as valuable as oil and gold, and no one knows what to do with it, just like oil. Like, you know, if, if you found oil in your backyard, you wouldn't, like, what would you do with a barrel of oil in your pool? <laughs> and I don't know how to synthesize that into all its amazing uses. And I think a lot of people are sitting on data. They know it's important. They know it's valuable. They know there's privacy concerns. And so it's just sitting there. Sure. And so for a new company to try to convince someone to, to give that or even partner or share, that's a really big ask. And, but you're not using it is not a compelling sales pitch. So <laughs> finding ways to generate your own data, I think is the surprisingly faster way to go. Okay. Generate your own data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because in doing that, that means you're also getting user feedback and you're, you're yeah. learning a lot more about your customer and domain knowledge. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Unless you're already at an enterprise level and you can, you know, you can call your uncle that works at AT&T and get all the call records or something like that. I think the rest of us have to do it the hard way. Do it the hard way, exactly. Well, data has been a big topic in many, many podcasts. And it will likely be like that for a while. So if you look at where you are right now, anecdotal-wise, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? The accuracy of our system. I mean, we built a lot. You know, we're, we're still patent pending, but we, yeah. we've built some novel approaches that when we show it to people who know what they're talking about, they say, wow, you are barking up the right tree. And this is something that this solves a problem that I had for two years and I couldn't figure out. And getting that kind of feedback from people who I know are smarter than I am is, you know, I'm a fast learner. I don't know if I'm a very smart person, but I know I'm, I'm, I learn quickly. And I know there's a ton of people, especially when it gets to the hard math, I can't do any of the hard math required for AI and machine learning. I, when you get past like trigonometry, I'm out. But I can do the whiteboarding conceptualization and all that. So when I get feedback from those guys, like the people who really understand at the algorithmic math level, what you're doing is different because of this. That satisfies me in a way that just about nothing else does. Yeah, that's cool. And that keeps you going. Yeah, it does. It gives you sort of a different, you know, ping and echo, right? Like you send that out and then you see, oh, there's maybe a ratification or something like that from those people that I wouldn't get on my own. Or even with my co-founder, who's a neurolinguist. You know, my, my co-founder is, you know, he's a brilliant guy, but he's worse at math than me. <laughs> so between the two of us, that part's a disaster. And so finding solutions for that liability and, and getting that support and feedback is, is a big keep you going piece for us. Yeah. Well, talking about you, CEO, your co-founder, if you would give advice based on what you know right now in terms of starting the, starting the, the business, bringing it to where it is right now, what would you advise other people that have similar ambitions in starting a tech company with an as big vision? The advice I would give is number one, product, 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 product. You have to think about this into where it ends up as a product, not as a technology. And what that user story really is. Otherwise, I mean, I fell in love with the tech. So that, and then in terms of like finding the dynamic, ultimately finding a person that you can trust when they're alone in the room, right? Like you, you have to trust the guy in the room on every, especially on a small team early. Everyone has to know what their job is and trust each other to do that job. And, you know, it's all hands on deck to some degree. And we're all, you know, kind of pitching in and doing whatever we can. But knowing your role, knowing your lane and knowing someone who compliments you and just yeah. saying, I disagree with you on this. And it's my job to say, you're right on this and I'm wrong. And that's uncomfortable when no one knows who's right. So finding the people that you can trust when you disagree with each other is yeah. that's, that's made my company a lot of fun. You know, there's, there's, you know, teams that we work with and, and, you know, in-source and outsource, you know, programming and all that stuff. But our core is really three guys and we all know exactly what we're going to do. Yeah. And we can, you know, we joke that 
one of us will be driving towards a bridge that isn't built. And then the other two of us are building the bridge from opposite sides of the, the cliff towards each other, hoping that we will line up at the right time for the guy driving. And that is sort of the visual of what the three of us spend every week or every two weeks on a sprint doing. And yeah. that's what our sprint cycles look like is one guy drives towards a bridge at full speed saying, you guys will have this done in time, right? And the two of us say, <laughs> yep. And with our heads down, try to line up. And most of the time we do pretty close. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Yeah. So what is next for you? Where, what are you, where do you want to be in 12 months, 24 months time with Cyrano? In 12 to 24 months, I'd like to have more people using our, our voice tool. And we have a tool that works for email that we're not doing much with right now. You know, a Slack email and voice tool that are all sort of a suite. I'd like to round that out and create some customizations for some larger companies. And at 24 months, for sure, probably closer to 12, I would love to be plugged into teen crisis hotlines. I would love to find teen support hotlines. We're doing some stuff with a mentorship program now out of New York that's very cool, but it's not the same thing as like that crisis moment. I'd, I'd like to be confident enough in our models that we can give those people in the real meaningful conversations, actionable insights. So that's yeah. 18, 24 months. I, I see that being- very That's where important. it really starts to make a bigger impact, a big impact. It reminds yeah. me, I think of- Podcast number one, or well, no, no, not one number one, but I think number two or number three, with a guy from Denmark, a company called Corti, and they're plugging into 911. Right. And not, not for, for the cases on mental health, but typically, what is it called about? What, are they, what is the real issue here before the, the agent can actually detect it? Hmm. And, yeah, that's and life second counts there. Yeah. Yeah. It, different it different type of uh, examples, but yeah, you can, you can hear so much from, from the sounds there. Very interesting. But that's where I said it again. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not trying way. to get money from you, so I'm not trying no, to no, get no. investment out of you. It, it, the word interesting in this context is, a, a, I take it as a compliment. Okay, that's well, it is, but I said it again. So if you could ask something from the audience, some help, what would it be? If I could ask your audience for help, wow. A couple things. If our tool is designed so that where there are words, we can add value. And you know, we're we're picking our spots, you know, kind of intelligently. But if there are people who have access to places to help others, you know, like I said, teen crisis, mental health support, those kinds of things. We we'd love to do that. If there's call centers, that kind of thing that are commercially oriented, we would we would love to be able to be plugged into those things and just have a chance to prove it. That will come out loud and clear in the podcast, but I also start thinking about who I, who I know myself that, could, that I could plug you into. But that's coming in a different, in a different, different time then. So, sure. yeah, I mean, this was a fantastic call. Where can people go to find out more about your company and to say hi to you? Sure. The easiest place, if, they, if people have a business account on Zoom and just want to try our stuff out for free or even see a sample of it without committing to anything, it's insights.cyrano.ai. And that's our Zoom tool. Cyrano.ai will get you to sort of general about us and the company. But if you really just want to see the most succinct, simple, here's what we can do for you and answer the so what, insights.cyrano.ai. Very good. And how can they can connect to you? LinkedIn is an easy way to get a hold of me. I mean, if you contact us through the website, it, it comes to me. So I, I will read it, each and every one of those emails as well. So there's a, you know, a contact us button on that website. Okay, okay very good. That's, that's me. Well, this was a very inspiring call to me. I love the journey that you've taken. I've, I also love that you started off on something that was way beyond what the market was needing and then kind of pulled it back and actually give them something that is, yeah, less, less advanced, but, but at least needed. <laughs> So thanks for that wisdom that you shared and I wish you all the luck with your company. Oh, thank you very much. I, I mean, it. it was, it's a real pleasure and I, I want to keep talking with you because I think your perspective on stuff is noteworthy and I'm really looking forward to your book. I'm, I can't wait to read it. Good. Well, I mean, it's available on all those websites where they sell books online. I'm grabbing one. I'm, I really mean it. This is not a, I, I'm grabbing your book today. I really can't wait to read it. Well, I appreciate it. 
Thank you very much. And this ends my conversation with Scott. I hope you found inspiration in what we discussed. We'd really value if you'd share what you thought about this episode. And if you like it, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning in to this podcast today. I had the honor to speak to Scott Sandland, co-founder and CEO of Cyrano AI. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.